Hello and welcome to this download from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Mary Beard. Mary is Professor of Classics at Cambridge, edits the Classics pages of the TLS, and writes a hugely popular A Don's Life blog. She's also the author of several books, including a very short introduction to classics, and a recent study of the Roman Triumph. It's impossible to read Mary's books and not get the impression that the ancient world was both more interesting and often stranger than we commonly imagine it. And so it is with her latest book on Pompeii. It's a fascinating exploration of how first-century AD Romans lived, worked, loved and worshipped. I began by asking Mary to tell me about her own first visit to the city. Oh, I went to Pompeii actually when I was about 19 and I was still an undergraduate and I'd done a course in my classics degree in Cambridge. I'd done a course on Pompeii and I was actually went I actually went you know feeling rather confident that I knew about this place. And I went with my mate who hadn't done the course on Pompeii but was also doing classics and the idea was going to be I was going to show her around. And I think that's when I first decided that Pompeii was both more interesting and more complicated than I'd been led to believe. And I remember we'd spent a very, very long time looking at Pompeian painting, painting on the walls of the houses at Pompeii, and how this was divided into four styles, which I'd written essays on and been to lecture after lecture on, and I was all ready to tell my mate just about how Pompeian painting worked. And when I got there, it didn't seem to fit what I'd learned. I looked at all these walls and they were all a bit different. And I thought I was going to say, oh, I think this is second style, you know. And I couldn't really tell them apart. And for some time, I was a bit sort of taken aback by this. And I thought, help, I haven't done this properly, you know. I still haven't got the hang of this. But it was sort of later, I kind of flipped that and I thought, no. It's not me that's stupid here. It's what we were learning that was stupid. You know, it isn't as simple as what you've got in the books. And at that point, I always thought, yeah, I'd like to do something about this and share that kind of problem with people. And what you say about the styles of Pompeian painting holds good for everything, really. <laughs> Every aspect of, of yeah. daily life that you talk about, it, it is, as you say, more complicated than we think. It's more complicated than we think. But also, and I think this is the good news, I think what my book tries to do is to say, look, if you're sensible and you use your eyes and you just think, if you go around Pompeii with your brain switched on, you can see all kinds of things and you can work it out for yourself. You don't have to believe all this tosh that you're told about, whether it's the four styles or how this or that worked or what this building looked like. So what's great about Pompeii is both that it's it is more complicated than everyone always tells you, but it's it's kind of you can open it up for yourself if you just look. If you go around saying, "Oh, I wonder how they lit this room," you know, where was the window? This kind of thing. And as soon as you get your brain turned on and your eyes open, uh, you can make the site work for you. And that's what I think is great fun about it. But the, the non-expert going around sometimes will be misled by. <laughs> restoration or indeed misdirection from from the signs or from the guidebook weren't they well of course i'm bound to say that the non-expert will need my book before they can really understand and start to use their eyes and their brain on the site and yeah you, there's some background information that you need to know 
And actually, it's background information that you're not often told. Right? What I thought was amazing when I came to really decide what I was going to say about this site was that an awful lot of the really essential information is kept from you. The, the, the biggest, the biggest, single biggest factor that makes a huge difference to how you look at the site is an awful lot of it has been restored. You know, it's Pompeii was a town that was destroyed by a volcano. You know, when volcanoes erupt, they do not leave the buildings with their roofs on, right? And one of the things that the people in the site have done, the archaeologists in the site have done since the late 19th century, I think for very good reason, is actually restore these buildings. They've put roofs on. They've tried to recreate the houses as they thought they were. But I think it's terribly important to realise that most of the stuff you see in Pompeii, which is above kind of human height, most of it, not absolutely all of it, is 19th and 20th century masonry. It's not ancient. And when you see that, that explains why the colour sort of changes, <laughs> you know, halfway up the wall. And I'm not against restoration at all. I think it makes the houses much easier to understand and you get a feel of what they're like and all the rest. But I think it's terribly important to know that. Mm. And that's never said. I've, I've listened to people go around houses clearly thinking that everything they see is Roman. You talk about the murals in the house and in the Villa of the Mysteries and how that gives you perhaps the best example of the sort of visual saturation of this all-round wall painting. But that is the result of, of heavy restoration, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it's the Villa of the Mysteries with this extraordinary, bright, all-encompassing red room with something very strange going on, which we no longer understand, but involving flagellation, weddings, um, revealing phalluses and this kind of stuff. You know, the big now, one of the big tourist hotspots of the site. It is terribly... It's terribly affecting when you go. You really kind of think, God, I'm really here walking into a to a Roman site with all the kind of lusciousness in your face of this deep, dark, gorgeous red. I'm a bit over the top for my taste, but still very, you know, very in your face. Well, it was only a few years ago that I realised, thanks to some work that a couple of American archaeologists had done on it, that that gorgeous kind of saturation bombing feel of this room was the result of restoration when it was first uncovered. They had a problem, they uncovered this gorgeous painting, but there was an awful lot of damp and sort of nasty salt crystals started to appear through the painting, which was deeply disfiguring of their great new find. The only way they could think of removing it and protecting it was wiping off the salt crystals and smearing it with petroleum jelly. Now, that seeped into the painting, and it's what accounts in very large part for the wonderful lustrous quality that the painting has. The general picture of the whole townscape that emerges is one which is less orderly, less planned, less, I think you say, stereotyped and normalised, less less of those things than we conventionally think it's it's more, there's more sort of random human variability in it in your picture of Pompeii than the one we sort of conventionally uh, are used to yeah i think pompeii was an awful mess 
We, I mean, we tend to think that Roman towns are quite well organised and they've got a very elaborate and great pattern of their streets and in part that's true. But I think the more you look at Pompeii, the more you, and the more you repopulate it, it's fine to go around this grid pattern now and there's nobody there apart from the other tourists, but if you actually repopulate it with people living and working there, it is smelly and it's dirty and there are people kind of in places where they're not supposed to be on the kind of grand stereotypical model. I mean, you know, one very obvious uh, case that I talk about in the book is where did people sleep? Now, we think people sleep in bedrooms. Go to Pompeii, look, do these houses have bedrooms? Well, unless they were upstairs, which is possible, but there are quite serious reasons for thinking it isn't likely. There aren't any designated bedrooms, really. And so you suddenly see that the inside of a Pompeian house, and it's, that's perhaps the easiest way of understanding this, is not the kind of ordered, neat place with separate functions going on in different places. But you've got couches, and sometimes in the day you sit on the couch, and then you might go to bed on the couch. Mm. And they're in little rooms that are sort of you know, don't fit our designation. They're not living rooms and they're not bedrooms, they're kind of both. And you think, well, okay, so suppose I walked through a house at Pompeii at night. You know, what would I find? Well, okay, there'd be some people off on these couches, but I suppose you'd find the slaves just bedded down on the floor, probably. And it, it's all a bit more improvised, a bit mm. more kind of, you know, uh, messy, I think, in both in a literal sense. I mean, it probably was dirty. I mean, where did they put all their rubbish? on the street I bet but also messy in terms of being less orderly than we'd Mm. like it to be I mean another thing you get told when you go to Pompeii is you know you go to a bath building big public Mm. bath building and you'll get a plan and it'll tell you that they all went round the same way you know first of all you went into the frigidarium the cold room then you went into the tepidarium the warm room and then the caldarium the hot room and so you get these kind of normative paths round the building and, and you go and look at this and you think well why didn't they go to how why did they go to the frigidarium first maybe some people did but you know let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a bit of kind of you know <laughs> initiative autonomy. you know autonomy initiative and mm. you know you could wander around these aren't you know you could you could go back to the tepidarium after you'd been in the hot room you know and so on and I really did think that as soon as you kind of, as soon as you put the people back in and you say, and you get them living in there, none of it is quite so orderly and rigid and kind of Roman. Mm. You know, we kind of like to think of the Romans as, you know, never doing anything out of order. They were doing that all the time. In a late chapter in the book, you come to belief and you say, if a, a native of Pompeii could have read this book, they would have been surprised that I've left belief to so late in the book because it was a city full of gods, is the way you describe it. Yeah. Um, Religion's another tough nut to crack (laughs) for understanding the ancient world. It's difficult to understand what's going on religiously. That's partly because you go around the city, you walk around, and there are some buildings called temples, and you go into houses and you will be pointed out things that are called domestic shrines. Mm. And the problem is that's easy enough. So you can kind of plot where religion happens in a way in Pompeii. But you haven't got the foggiest clue what went on in them. And 
that I think is a is really hard to know. I mean, some basic things are very important and very different from what we expect. That's to say, most temples, not absolutely all, but most temples of the traditional civic official religion of Pompeii were houses for a god. They, were, they house a statue of a god. Now, they're not like churches, in other words. You don't go there to worship. It's a house for a god. If you do any worship there, what it is, it's sacrifice and it happens outside. So we kind of, I, I think, look at Roman temples and somehow make them into churches with a kind of congregational image or synagogues for that matter. But that's quite different. And uh, in Roman function of most temples was very different from that. And it was the God's house, really. In fact, the Latin for temple is actually ides, which means house, much more commonly used than templum. All the same, it's more complicated than that. And I think what's interesting about Pompeii and what you see sort of starting in Pompeii is signs of different versions of what religious ritual and religious belief is going to turn out to be. Now, there are no Christians in Pompeii, as far as we can see. I mean, St Paul did go via South Italy when he went up to, to Rome to be executed. But... There's, there's never been found any firm evidence of any Christian community there, though there are some clear evidence of some Jews, though no synagogue. What you can see, however, is you can see the beginning of different forms of religious experience, like particularly most famous of all at Pompeii, is the worship of Isis. Back into the 18th century, one of the first buildings discovered, you know, Mozart visited it, everybody visited it, was the Temple of Isis. An Egyptian deity who in some way had come to Italy and taken root within the Roman religious world, but interestingly offering a rather different form of religious experience. And I think it is pretty clear that whereas the cult of Jupiter, the Temple of Jupiter in the Forum at Pompeii, that's absolutely standard Roman temple. No congregational worship here, no nice priest who'll look after you and have a kind of pastoral view of his flock. Go to the temple of Isis and there you'll find something much more familiar to us in religious terms. You'll find a community, you'll find priests who in a sense look after their community. So I think why it's difficult but also interesting when you look at the religious experience in Pompeii is you get kind of these different models and of course actually religious experience is at the moment Pompeii is destroyed on the change Mm. and the kind of version that we're going to take for granted of what a religion is which is kind of a kind of consequence of personal belief and built around a community a a religious community of believers Mm. is just beginning to come to come into view with the temple of Isis Mm. So I think it's very, very hard. And as for what people did in their household shrines, heaven only knows. I mean, we have a kind of slightly Victorian picture of them, I think. Everybody gets up for family prayers in the morning at the household shrine with the paterfamilias, the father of the family. Um, Whether anybody worshipped at all anything at them, whether some of them, I always suspect, were shelves, not shrines anyway, but you know, people always want to have a shrine in a house, so a little ledge will do. 
So it's, it's, it is very, very complicated. But also I think Pompeii is a nice case study mm. of the complexities, but also the changes that are going on in the, in the just, just pre-Christian world. Mm. You know, St Paul might have gone to Pompeii, he probably didn't, but he might have. 